You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Your best thinking got you here. If you've ever known someone who was an addict, worked with addicts, or you yourself have been addicted to something, you may have heard this phrase before. Your best thinking got you here. (laughs) When I know that I've made a bad decision, when I see the path that my sin is leading me down, or when I think that I'm being really clever I use this phrase as a reminder that I'm probably not as wise as what I think that I am. It reminds me that on my best days, I am still prone to having sin cloud my thoughts and my words and my actions. This phrase, or better yet, perhaps a call of repentance that I picked up in my shorter daily Bible readings, brings me back to the place of not relying on myself. Now, there have been many positive things that James has taught us, and he is today going to push us towards biblical wisdom even more. Wisdom is a God-given good gift. Wisdom is a gift God gives to his people through his word and by his spirit. He does this so that we can live in a way that is in line with what God wants us to be doing, to live in the way that our Creator has made us to live. Now, don't get me wrong, there's also good worldly wisdom, Um, not just the demonic kind of wisdom that we read about last week, or the kind of wisdom that says, your best thinking got you here. (laughs) Both solid biblical wisdom and general wisdom about surviving in this world are good gifts that God wants to give to you, and James even echoes Jesus' words about asking and receiving when he told us in James chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. Wisdom is very practical. And we're going to need it because James has shown us so far in this letter that we fall very short in and of our own power. Uh, And in fact, we work hard to wreck all the good things God is doing around us. So just to give you a rundown of some of the sins that James, some of our sins that James has shown to us so far. We call ourselves Christians, but refuse to rest in Jesus and his work for us. Chapter 1, verse 6. We always want to leave a back door open to our old lives and our old way of thinking in case this whole Jesus thing isn't working out. Chapter 1, verse 8. When we get caught up in temptation and sin, we try to blame God for it, even if in uh, very uh, pious ways. (laughs) Chapter 1, verse 14. We are fully convinced that we produce our own blessings instead of every good gift being given to us in Christ by the Father and through the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 17. 
We say, uh, sure, Jesus, I'm listening as we deafen ourselves to our neighbor's needs. Chapter 1, verse 19. We allow our tongues to control us instead of taming them. Chapter 1, verse 26, and all of chapter 3. We show favoritism in God's own family amongst our brothers and sisters. Chapter 2, verse 1. We pretend like only those who we find respectable are made in God's image, and we deny that image in others. Chapter 2, verse 6. We judge the souls of others while forgiving ourselves. Chapter 2, verse 13. We remain a fruitless Christian-like person instead of being reliant upon Christ. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. And as we saw last week in chapter 3, we refuse the wisdom of God. The wisdom that he wants to give to us. Now, that's a long laundry list. And as I reread James's letter this week, I was slowly crushed by the weight of all of it. <laughs> and the weight of my own dirty laundry. And frankly, the weight of... All the tattered old garments that the church everywhere wants to keep dressing itself in instead of putting on the mind of Christ in living faithfully and dependently. Said another way, instead of loving God and loving our neighbor, right? So here's our big idea for today. Turn back from your sin and yourself to Jesus or else your sinful desires will continue to enslave you, causing disunity and bitterness. Turn back from your sin and yourself and turn to Jesus, or else your sinful desires will continue to enslave you, causing disunity and bitterness. James 4 verse 1, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures." With all the other sins that James is laboring to teach into and correct in us, it should be no surprise to us that disunity, fighting, bitterness, uh, every other product of our sin, every other fruit that grows from the poison roots that we cultivate, um, from our own selfishness and pride and envy and sinful nature, are present here with his hearers. We should not be surprised that, like us, James's readers are sinner saints, people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and yet we will uh, carry to the grave with us a built-in sinfulness. And no matter how outwardly holy we are, we have a sinfulness that we are prone to and will act upon. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Right? Prone to leave the God I love. One of my favorite hymns. And we are prone to wonder, despite the fact that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus. 
Paul says it another way in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 through 25. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We should not be surprised um, that ourselves, along with James's hearers, need to be reminded of the real problem in the church. The arguing, and in these verses anyway, what seems to be actually physical fighting in the church, it's not the real problem. You and me are the real problem. It's the sinners bringing all the sin in. Jesus tell, or sorry, James tells us in verse 1, you know where that comes from, don't you? That, that desire to get your own way and to ignore the good of others. Isn't it your passions, your desires inside of you that turn you away from God? See, you want something and you can't get it. You even kill those around you with your tongue and with your favoritism and with your judginess and your whole laundry list of sins. You even threaten actual violence and you still cannot get what you really want because your heart is all messed up. In verse 2, James tells us that we do not have what we really need because we're not asking for it. And even the few good things that we that we do want, or perhaps the things in this world that are not bad in and of themselves, we keep asking God for them so that we can be selfish with them. We're asking with the wrong motives, the wrong reasons. We want everything for ourselves, and we want everything to benefit ourselves. And we will curse all of those around us to get it. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And then what does James say? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or, or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says... The spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. <laughs> you adulterous people. Well, James, that is, that's a bit strong. Or is it? See, here we have a bunch of Jewish people who have taken on a new identity in Jesus. They're Christians. And they are abusing all the freedom that they have in Jesus to harm others. They're going to church with the thought that they are the new and improved, the 2.0 people of God. All the while, they are falling into the same old trap that their ancestors did. And, and then they get called what their ancestors did by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, just to name a few prophets. Adulterous people. And then he asks a question that should cause us and his fellow believers, James's fellow believers, to drop our heads in embarrassment. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
Yeah. And then as we, you know, we look at the floor, kick in the sand saying, well, I mean, I, I think I, I knew that perhaps there was something wrong, you know, with the way I was living. And then James continues. Did you think scripture was talking nonsense when it said um, the spirit he made to, to dwell in you envies intensely? Your God is a jealous God who does not give his glory or his bride to another. Did you honestly not know that yet? James is asking them. Did you not know that if you're going to be so worldly that you don't associate with Jesus on a day-to-day basis and then you want to keep wearing the name that it doesn't work like that? Jesus does not share you with anyone else is what he's saying. And this is when you and I should remain silent. Uh, Learning not to talk is important for your survival. Um, You know what? Maybe if we just keep looking down, God will forget all about it. And then James reminds us because, (laughs) look, I hope he forgets all about it because there's no way out, right? (laughs) And then James reminds us, verse six, but he gives greater grace. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 9, we read this. God shows his great, his greater grace, his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What is James saying? He's saying, repent, turn from your sin, turn from your pride, turn from yourself, your envy, jealousy, ignorance. In hearing this laundry list and being reminded of the plain fact that you are sinful, James here is calling you to repentance. But but how should I be humble? Can I go do something to, to show that I'm humble? Um, can I somehow work off the debt that needs to be paid for my loose tongue, for this fighting, uh, this turning away from God and his desires for me, this adultery? No. James has already shown us our humility and our lack of ability to stand before God. He has shown us where our best thinking has gotten us. Now he says, stop your pride. You're relying on yourself and admit that Jesus is your only hope. That is repentance here. And now for James's readers and for you and for me. James continued there and said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's humbling us. He's bringing us to the place of repentance. God's word here is actually taking you and I, and it's repenting us. It's showing us our sin, and it's laying us in front of Christ. Verse 7, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, humble yourself, repent, submit to God. What's the second part here? Resist the devil. And and there's good news here too, and he will flee from you. Do you hear that? 
The devil wants nothing to do with someone who is not an easy meal, right? We're told that, that he's a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when that deceiver, that snake, sees a bunch of Christians fighting and causing disunity and separating themselves from one another, he sees a buffet dinner <laughs> that, that brings shame and dishonor to those uh, those Christians that want to carry the name of Jesus and to the name of Jesus himself in the world. Really, we're all just a bunch of low-hanging dead fruit when we allow sin to take over our relationships in the church like this. Now, interestingly enough, here and now, during the season of COVID-19, we're all separated from one another anyway. How easy is it now to start weaving little threads of disunity among us when we don't even get to see one another? Hmm? Satan is banking on that. He's hoping that you and I and us as a church and the churches around us, that we will become that low-hanging dead fruit, that we will become the easy buffet dinner that he longs for, that takes away Jesus's fame and instead, you know, shines a little metal on his, on his vest, on his uniform. Verse 8, James continues, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay, one thing real quick, please do not quote this verse to an unbeliever. They do not care. <laughs> I, I'm not being cute. I'm not being funny. Paul says in Romans 8, chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Look, those who do not know Jesus need to be told about him. They need to, they need to be told about his person and his work done for them in a way that they can understand. They do not need to be given the hopeless task of being told to draw near to God. James is saying this to Christians who have the Spirit of Christ living in them and who are willfully choosing to ignore Christ and his gifts. James continues, Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, James is continuing to do a good work here. He's, he's quoted some of the prophets, and uh, he knows his congregation well, and he's using the language of the Psalms. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4, we read this, Who shall go up the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And what is James saying? Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. But I love this verse too, uh, verse here because this this little portion of it gives us a great truth that we need to be very mindful of. See, so many people, including many of us and including me, um, think that I think, therefore that I am, right? I can I can use my mind and I can work my way out of most situations. I believe this about myself, therefore it is true. I think, therefore I am. To which 
we should be saying your best thinking keeps you separated from God. Okay? James reminds these believers that their hearts and their hands, um, that is to say, what God has done to their hearts in Christ and what they now do with their hands shape the way that they think, not the other way around. You let your double-minded, sinful, selfish brain try to lead you, and you are always going to be pushing away from God. Because the way of Christ, it doesn't make sense to us. It's too easy, right? Uh, To be forgiven? (laughs) Well, that's why we ask for wisdom. We ask for it because we need it. We, We need our minds to be changed. And, and it's only as our hearts are purified, that is, as God the Holy Spirit uh, makes us new each and every day, and as uh, we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, what we're doing with our hands, this, this is what shapes the way that we think about who we are, about what our identity is in Christ. And we need wisdom to go along with that, to be continually shaping what our brain actually believes, okay? We're asking for wisdom because we need it. Repent, and once again see that Jesus has covered over and removed your sins from you. Verse 9, James says, Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy Uh, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James talks about laughter to show how lightly his readers are thinking about their sin. Again, this is uh, Old Testament language. It echoes Isaiah, echoes Jeremiah. This is language that these uh, now Christian Jewish, uh, this now Christian Jewish congregation understands. He says, weep. Mourn, be gloomy. Not because if you do those things, God will be kinder to you. You know, if you just act well enough, if you put off the the idea that you're really, really sorry, then God will, will forgive you. No, no. He's telling them that this is what taking your sin seriously looks like. You're laughing about it right now. You should be weeping. You're happy. You should be mourning. You're walking around with a joy in your step, an extra extra little uh, pep in your walk. You should be gloomy. Don't you see the seriousness of your sin? Is what James is asking them. Verse 11, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law... You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James here continues to uh, repeat what he's already taught about judging others. Yet he gives us more reason to not speak harshly or in ignorance or lie against a brother or sister in Christ. James says that if we do that, we're judging God's law. Wait a second. What? (laughs) That is to say that 
This royal law James told us about, loving God with all of yourself and loving your neighbor as yourself, you treat it like a joke when you hate on a brother or sister in Christ, and especially one within your own church body. But this is what we do when we sin. We create a law that we want to follow, and we ignore God's law for us. We say our law is good, and we pass judgment on God's law and say it's bad, or, you know, it's just not best for me. It's not my favorite. Do we not understand that there is only one lawgiver and one judge, and that he is able to save and destroy Said another way, that he is able to take our sin upon himself or let us choose to take our sin upon ourselves. He saved, he has saved through his blood, and yet we're willing to stand before our neighbor and damn them and deny them the blood of Christ. Think about Jesus' story with the guys, the one with the log in his eye, and he's so busy living according to his own law that he didn't care uh, if, <laughs> he did not care uh, that his, his brother, um, his neighbor was being thrown under every axle and every wheel of the train. He said, hey, whoa, 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 that speck in your eye? Are you serious, man? And we do that. We do that, but that's not what Jesus did. We're always walking around with that log in our eye, looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ or people in the world and saying, oh, how dare they? That's not what Jesus did, though. See, Jesus, he takes all the specks and all the logs out of all the eyes. Okay, that sounds a bit funny. He cleans every set of hands and every heart. He looks at you and me and he says, your best thinking got you into this mess of envy and fighting and selfishness and, and needing to sacrifice brothers and sisters to work towards justifying and saving yourself. Your best thinking got you here and I'm going to get you out of it. Cast your judgment. Oppose God. And what does Jesus say? <laughs> I'll take your judgment upon my shoulders on the cross. You want to declare a guilty verdict on someone? I'll take it all. All the guilt, all the sin, and I'll be condemned for you. I'll take all the wrath and all the judgment of God because of your judgmental, your judgmental wrathfulness that you were placing on others. And whereas we're always ending up with a guilty verdict, Jesus says, no, 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 that's mine. I'm taking it. You're innocent. You're pardoned, forgiven, and set free on account of me and for my sake. Jesus does all of that for you and for me. big idea? Turn back from your sin and yourself. Turn to him. Your sinful desires 
do not need to enslave you and cause disunity and bitterness with those around you. In Christ, you are forgiven. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.